0: Hello everyone. My name's Ariel. Yes? Really? And this is Fairy Tale. For this episode, please forgive any snuffling you hear in the background. Uh Wicket, my Pekinese, has decided to be a little extra snuffly today. As usual, I would like to post the warning that uh, some of these fairy tales may not be suitable for children, as they are much closer to the originals, and uh, Disney hasn't quite gotten to them just yet. Today, in honor of this season, I bring you a story called Snowflake. Following, I will be reading Puss in Boots. Snowflake Once upon a time there lived a peasant called Ivan, and he had a wife whose name was Marie. And they would have been quite happy except one thing. They had no children to play with, and as they were now old people, they did not find that watching the children of their neighbors at all made up for having one of their own. One winter, which nobody living will ever forget, the snow lay so deep that it came up to the knees of even the tallest man. When it had fallen, the sun was shining again, the children ran out into the street to play, and the old man and his wife sat at their window and gazed at them. The children first made a sort of little terrace, then stamped it hard and firm, and then they began to make a snowwoman. Ivan and Marie watched them, the while thinking about many things. Suddenly, Ivan's face brightened, and he looked at his wife and said, "'Wife, why shouldn't we make a snowwoman, too?' "'Why not?' replied Marie, who happened to be in a very good temper. "'It might amuse us a little.' "'But there is no use in making a woman. "'Let us make a little snow child "'and pretend it is a living one.' "'Yes, let's do that,' said Ivan, "'and he took down his cap "'and went into the garden with his old wife. "'Then the two set to work with all of their might "'to make a doll out of the snow. "'They shaped a little body "'and two little hands and two little feet. "'At the top they placed a ball of snow, "'out of which the head was to be. "'What in the world are you doing?' "'asked a passerby. "'Can't you guess?' returned Ivan making a snow child, replied Marie. They had finished the nose and chin, two holes were left for the eyes, and Ivan carefully shaped out the mouth. No sooner had he done this than he felt a warm breath upon his cheek. He started back in surprise and looked, and behold, the eyes of the child met his. Its lips, which were as red as raspberries, smiled at him. What is it? cried Ivan, crossing himself. Am I mad, or is this thing bewitched? The snow-child bent its head as if it had really been alive. It moved its little arms and its little legs in the snow that lay about it just as living children did theirs. "'Ah, Ivan, Ivan!' cried Marie, trembling with joy. "'Heaven has sent us a child at last!' And she threw herself upon Snowflake, for that was the snow-child's name, and covered her with kisses. And the loose snow fell away from Snowflake as an eggshell does from an egg and it was the little girl who Marie held in her arms. "'Oh, my darling Snowflake!' cried the woman, and led her into the cottage. And Snowflake grew fast. Each hour, as well as each day, made a difference, and every day she became more and more beautiful. The old couple hardly knew how to contain themselves for joy, and thought of nothing else. The cottage was always full of village children, for they amused Snowflake, and there was nothing in the world they would not have done to amuse her." She was their doll, and they were continually inventing new dresses for her, teaching her songs or playing with her. Nobody knew how clever she was. She noticed everything and could learn a lesson in a moment. Anyone would have taken her for thirteen at least. And besides all that, she was so good and obedient and so pretty too. Her skin was as white as snow, her eyes as blue as forget-me-nots, and her hair was long and golden. Only her cheeks had no color in them, but were as fair as her forehead. And so the winter went on, till at last the spring sun mounted higher in the heavens and began to warm the earth. The grass grew green in the fields, and high in the air the larks were heard singing. The village girls met and danced in a ring, singing, Beautiful spring, how came you here, how came you here, did you come on a plow or was it a harrow? Only Snowflake sat quite still by the window of the cottage. What is the matter, dear child? asked Marie. Why are you so sad? Are you ill? "'Or have they treated you unkindly?' "'No,' replied Snowflake. "'It is nothing, Mother. "'No one has hurt me. "'I am well.' "'The spring sun had chased away the last snow "'from its hiding place under the hedges, "'and the fields were full of flowers, "'nightingales sang in the trees, "'and all the world was gay. "'By the gayer grew the birds and the flowers, "'the sadder became Snowflake. "'She hid herself from her playmates "'and curled herself up where the shadows were deepest, "'like a lily amongst the leaves.' Her only pleasure was to lie amid the green willows near some sparkling stream. At the dawn and at twilight only, she seemed happy. When a great storm broke, the whole earth was white with hail, and she became bright and joyous as the snowflake of old. But when the clouds passed and the hail melted beneath the sun, the snowflake would burst into tears and weep as a sister would weep over her brother. The spring passed, and it was the eve of St. John, or Midsummer Day. This was the greatest holiday of the year when the girls met in the woods to dance and to play. They went to fetch Snowflake and said to Marie, let her come and dance with us. But Marie was afraid and she could not tell why, only that she could not bear to let the child go. Snowflake did not wish to go either, but they had no excuse ready. So Marie kissed the girl and said, go, my Snowflake, and be happy with your friends and you, dear children, be careful with her. You know she is the light of my eyes to me. "'Oh, we will take care of her,' cried the girls gaily, and they ran off to the woods. There they wore wreaths, gathered nosegays, and sang songs, some sad, some merry, and whatever they did, Snowflake did too. When the sun set, they lit a fire of dry grass and placed themselves in a row, Snowflake being the last of all. "'Now, watch us,' they said, and run, just as we do.' And they all began to sing and to jump one another across the fire. Suddenly, close behind them, they heard a sigh and a groan. Ah! They turned hastily and looked at each other. There was nothing. They looked again. Where was Snowflake? She had hidden herself for fun, they thought, and they searched for her everywhere. Snowflake? Snowflake? But there was no answer. Where can she be? Oh, she must have gone home. They returned to the village, but there was no Snowflake. For days after, they sought her high and low. They examined every brush and every hedge, but there was no Snowflake. And long after everyone else had given up hope, Ivan Marie would wander through the woods crying, Snowflake, my dove, come back, come back. And sometimes they thought they heard a call, but it was never the voice of Snowflake. And what had become of her? Had a fierce wild beast seized her and dragged her into his lair in the forest? Had some bird carried her off across the wide blue sea? No. No beast had touched her, no bird had borne her away. With the first breath of flame that swept over her when she ran with her friends, Snowflake had melted away, and a little soft haze floating upward was all that remained of her. The Master Cat, or Puss in Boots There was a miller who left no more estate to the three sons he had than his mill, his ass, and his cat. The partition was soon made. Neither Scrivener nor attorney was sent for. They soon would have eaten up all the poor patrimony. The eldest had the mill, the second the ass, and the youngest nothing but the cat. The poor young fellow was quite comfortless at having so poor a lot. My brothers, said he, may get their living handsomely enough by joining their stocks together, but for my part, when I've eaten up my cat and made a muff of his skin, I must die of hunger. The cat, who heard all of this, but made as if he did not, said to him with a grave and serious air, Do not thus afflict yourself, my good master. You have nothing else to do but to give me a bag and get a pair of boots made for me, that I may scamper through the dirt and the brambles, and you shall see that you have not so bad a portion in me as you may imagine. The cat's master did not build very much upon what he had said, He had often seen him play a great many cunning tricks to catch rats and mice, as when he used to hang by the heels, or hide himself in the meal, or make as if he were dead, so that he did not altogether despair of his affording him some help with his miserable condition. When the cat had what he asked for, he booted himself very gallantly, putting his bag around his neck, and held the strings of it in his two forepaws, and went into the warren where there was a great abundance of rabbits. He put Bran and Thistle into his bag and stretched out at length as if he had been dead and waited for some young rabbits, not yet acquainted with the deceits of the world, to come and rummage his bag for what he had put into it. Scarce was he lain down than he had what he wanted. A rash and foolish young rabbit jumped into his bag, and Monsieur Puss, immediately drawing close the strings, took and killed him without pity. Proud of his prey, he went to the palace and asked to speak with his majesty, he was shown upstairs to the king's apartment, and making a low reverence, said to him, mm. "I have brought you, sir, mm. a rabbit of the Warren, which my noble lord, from the Marquis of Carabas—for that was the title of which Puss was pleased to give his master—has commanded me to present to your Majesty from him." "Tell thy master," said the king that I thank him and that he does me a great deal of pleasure. Another time he went and hid himself among some standing corn, holding still his bag open when a brace of partridges ran into it and he drew the strings and so caught them both. He went and made a present of these to the king, as he had done before of the rabbit which he took in the warren. The king, in like manner, received the partridges with great pleasure and ordered him some money for drink. The cat continued for two or three months thus to carry his majesty from time to time, game of his master's taking. One day in particular, when he knew for certain that he was to take the air along the riverside with his daughter, the most beautiful princess in the world, he said to his master, If you will follow my advice, your fortune is made. You have nothing else to do but to go and wash yourself in the river and in that part I will show you, and leave the rest to me. The Marquis of Carabas did what the cat advised him to, without knowing why or wherefore. While washing, the king passed by, and the cat began to cry out, Help! Help! My lord Marquis of Carabas is going to be drowned! At this noise the king put his head out of the coach window and finding that it was the cat who had so often brought him such good game he commanded his guards to run immediately to the assistance of his lordship the marquis of Carabas when they were drawing the poor marquis out of the river the cat came up to the coach and told the king that while his master was washing there came by some rogues who went off with his clothes though he had cried out thieves thieves several times as loud as he could this cunning cat had hidden them under a great stone The king immediately commanded the officers of his wardrobe to run and fetch one of his best suits for the Lord Marquis of Carabas. The king caressed him in a very extraordinary manner, and as the fine clothes he had given him extremely set off his good mien, for he was a well made and very handsome in his person, the king's daughter took a secret inclination to him, and the Marquis of Carabas had no sooner cast two or three respectful and somewhat tender glances, but she fell in love with him to distraction. The king would needs have him come into the coach and take part of the airing. The cat, quite overjoyed to see his project begin to succeed, marched on before, and meeting with some countrymen, who were mowing by a meadow, he said to them "Oh, <coughs> Good people, you who are mowing, if you do not tell the king that the meadow you mow belongs to my lord Marquis of Carabas, you shall be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. <coughs> The king did not fail, asking the mowers to whom the meadow they were mowing belonged. To my lord, the Marquis of Carabas, they answered all together, for the cat's threats had made them terribly afraid. You see, sir, said the Marquis, this is a meadow which never fails to yield a plentiful harvest every year. The master cat, who still went on before, met with some reapers and said to them, Good people, you who are reaping. If you do not tell the king that all of this corn belongs to the Marquis of Carabas, you shall be chopped as small as herbs for the pot. The king, who passed by a moment after, would needs know to whom all that corn, which he saw then, did belong. To my lord, the Marquis of Carabas, replied the reapers, and the king was very well pleased with it, as was the Marquis, whom he congratulated thereupon. The master cat, who went always before, said the same words to all he met, and the king was astonished at the vast estates of my lord Marquis of Carabas. Monsieur Puss came at last to a stately castle, the master of which was an ogre, the richest as had ever been known, for all the lands which the king had gone over belonged to this castle. The cat, who had taken care to inform himself who this ogre was, and what he could do, asked to speak with him, saying that he could not pass under his castle without having the honor of paying his respects to him. The ogre received him as civilly as an ogre could do, and made him sit down. Oh, I have been assured, said the cat, that you have the gift of being able to change yourself into all sorts of creatures you have a mind to. You can, for example... "'Transform yourself into a lion, or an elephant and the like.' "'That is true,' said the ogre, very briskly. "'And to convince you, you shall see me now become a lion.' "'Puss was so sadly terrified at the sight of a lion so near him that he immediately got into the gutter, "'not without abundance of trouble and danger, because of his boots, "'which were of no use to him at all in walking upon the tiles.' A little while after, when the puss saw the ogre had resumed his natural form, he came down and owned he had been very much frightened. I have been moreover informed,' said the cat, "'but I know not how to believe it. And "'You also have the power to take on you the shape of the smallest animals. "'For example, to change yourself into a rat or a moose.' but I must own to you that I take this to be impossible. Impossible, cried the ogre, you shall see it presently. And at that same time, he changed himself into a mouse and began to run about the floor. Puss sooner perceived this, but he fell upon him and ate him up. Meanwhile, the king, who saw as he passed the fine castle of the ogres, had a mind to go into it. Puss, who heard the noise of his majesty's coach running over the drawbridge, ran out and said to the king, your majesty is welcome into this castle of my lord marquis of carabas what my lord marquis said the king and does this castle belong to you there can be nothing finer than this court and all the stately buildings which surround it let us go into it if you please the marquis gave his hand to the princess and followed the king who went first they passed into a spacious hall where they found a magnificent collation which the ogre had prepared for his friends, who were that very day to visit him but dared not enter knowing the king was there. His majesty was perfectly charmed with the good qualities of my lord, Marquis of Carabas, as was his daughter who had fallen violently in love with him, and, seeing the vast estate he possessed, said to him after having drunk five or six glasses, "'It will be owing to yourself only, my lord Marquis, if you are not my son-in-law.' The Marquis, making several low bows, accepted the honor which his majesty conferred upon him, and forthwith that very same day married the princess. Monsieur Puss became a great lord, and never ran after mice any more, but only for his diversion. The Frost by Hannah Flag Gould The Frost looked forth one still, clear night, and he said, "'Now shall I be out of sight.' So through the valley and over the height, in silence I'll take my way. I will not go like that blustering train, the wind and the snow and the hail and the rain, who make so much bustle and noise in vain, but I'll be as busy as they. Then he went to the mountain and powdered its crest, and he climbed the trees and their boughs he dressed, with diamonds and pearls, and over the breast of the quivering lake he spread a coat of mail that it need not fear, the downward point of many a spear, and then he hung on its margin far and near where a rock could rear its head. And he went to the windows of those who slept, and over each pane like a fairy crept. Wherever he breathed, wherever he stepped, by the light of the moon were seen. the most beautiful things there were flowers and trees, there were bevies of birds and swarms of bees, there were cities, thrones, temples, and towers, and these all pictured in silver sheen. But he did one thing that was hardly fair. He peeped in the cupboard and finding there that all had forgotten for him to prepare. Now, just to settle them a-thinking, I'll bite this basket of fruit, said he. This costly pitcher I'll burst in thee, and for the glass of water they left for me shall... to tell them I'm drinking. And that, I believe, will conclude tonight's fairy tales. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us and all of my creative efforts at chaos Creations on Facebook and Instagram. You can support this podcast at chaos Creations on Patreon, or you can go to ko-fi.com slash chaos underscore lily. All lilies are spelled L-I-double-L-Y. You can also expect a live Christmas episode uh, where we'll be reading Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. And if you'd like... We are currently running a GoFundMe, which you can find on our Facebook page, for the next round of uh, the 2020 Piepocalypse, where I will be working with friends to bake off something approaching 250 individual pies to be donated to local Salt Lake homeless and homeless shelters. Our theme, Passing Beauty, is by Dan Phillipson and my editor, Scott Hill. Thank you so much again for listening. Now, go be a light in dark places and cause a little chaos. This is Ariel, swimming off. Starting your own podcast can be intimidating, especially when it comes to figuring out how to best spread the word. When starting Fairy Tale, hands down, the most recommended site was Buzzsprout, and more than six months later, I certainly couldn't agree more working with buzzsprout has allowed us to get published and track our audience on every major platform from apple Podcasts to spotify google podcasts and more plus you get a great look at all the analytics you could possibly want personally i love looking at the world map to see where my listeners are you also get audio players that you can embed into other websites and an easily personalized website they also now offer easy ways to find sponsors and affiliate marketplace and display other methods that listeners can support your podcast at like patreon Use the link in the show notes below to sign up for Buzzsprout today, and you'll also get a $20 Amazon gift card. We can't be together in person right now, but we can be together in the pod sphere. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout today. Much of me just badly meowing into the microphone, oh my gosh, <clears throat> And you, dear children, be careful with her wow,, oh, that I may scamper her, <laughs> good people my lord, mar, of my lord, of my lord, marquis of, Car- oh, I have brought you. I have brought you, sir. Um, ah, can't do cat voices today. Oh, it's probably the worst one yet.